you've got your Bibles or your phone or your memory, if you've got your, your, the whole the whole Bible memorized in your brain, welcome. Thanks for being here. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. I'll be talking a little bit of, out of a few versions. This is out of the New Living Translation. We'll read this verse, and then we'll jump. Then we'll jump in. So this is Jesus speaking. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for this word. Lord, I pray that you would open hearts to hear it at whatever time, whether you're watching online, whether you're here in person, whether you hear this message later, that, that it would be received. Father, that the, the people that it is given to, they would use it. Father, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you all about loving like Jesus. And it's a, it's a phrase Western Christianity has tended to gloss over, or we've oversimplified, or we've put our own, I guess, our own brand of loving on it. And in, in, in these verses, there's this key phrase that Jesus says, as I have loved you. So just like we were talking about earlier, like I said, Holy Spirit bringing all these things together. What, how has God loved you? How well has God loved you? How patiently has God loved you? Do you remember in some of the lowest points in your life where you might have been the most disobedient, where people may have written you off as hopeless, yet God was present? Never giving up, always right next to you, whispering in your ear that he loves you. That kind of love. As I have loved you, you should love each other. I don't know about y'all, I've got some improvement to make. So if you're going to tune out, if you're going to tune out right after I say this phrase, just hear this one thing. Hear the one thing, put it in your brain. Love is a person. That person is making you, as much as you'll let him, more like himself. He is our unending source that enables us to love the unlovable. I put quotes around that as if those people existed. Those, that's, a, that's an us category. That's not a, that's not a God category. So Jesus wants to equip us to love people that we deem, we'll just say, hard to love in our humanity. So what does that mean practically? So when you're a believer and, and, and you're in relationship, you're in communion with God, love, love is a source, it's, it's sourced in an unending well, and it does not require external affirmation or reciprocation. That's hard. If you look at 1 John 4, 19, 
we love each other because he loved us first. So this, this love cycle goes from me to the Lord and back to me. And it's what's actually it's happening here. He lives in us. So here it is. As I am in communion with God, my love tank is constantly filled because he loves me with an unending love and I reciprocate that love to him and he reciprocates that love to me and because he loved first, I can love. Our ability to love flows from an intimate connection with God. If you find that your love tank is low, when's the last time you prayed? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the, the prayer in the car when your kids are screaming in the back and you're just like Lord help me get to the place and not kill my children I'm not talking about that prayer I'm talking about that closet time that I took a moment to be still not not while I'm driving not while I'm doing five other things that that moment I said you know what Lord I've got two minutes I'm just going to sit here with you I'm going to let you love me I'm going to tell you how much I love you. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's grown by the Spirit. We can't can't grow love on our own. Not the genuine love of God. I'll put it to you that way. We can love, but our love is typically always contingent on something. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. First one, love. Then joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Intimate connection with God. It all starts with seek first the kingdom. You heard that a lot in the last few weeks about habits. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added to you. Attach to the vine and you will bear fruit. Detach from the vine and you won't bear fruit. So if you don't have any of these fruits in your life or they're in short supply or they depend on your own strength, check your connection. We only get that source of love when we're spending time with the Lord. Now, does that, 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 we've talked about this, y'all. It's not... It's not a formula. It's not, I've got to spend 62 minutes with Jesus on my knees. It's being intentional. As Jeremy said last week, it's more about how often I'm not praying. How consistent are we dialoguing with the Lord? Are we, are we having an ongoing conversation and taking time to take to as Jesus did to go off by ourselves. The Lord didn't do that every day. As far as we can tell from the gospels, there were several days where he was just busy the whole time. That's okay. That's okay. But he had times where he was like, I got to go. Y'all gonna stay right here. And they were like, Where are you going? He's like, I'll, I'll see y'all in the lake in a minute. We've got to have intimate connection with the Lord. Because from there will we'll flow a love that does not require people to love back. That was the first point. 
the title of this of this section is called what does this mean practically i'm sorry i'm just kind of going here second point if you're taking notes love gives us capacity it enables us to sacrifice stay tender remain gentle in the face of opposition hate and strife we just saw the fruits of the spirit patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness when you're loving someone that's difficult to love, that's not reciprocating your love, that's not giving back to you what, they're give, what you're giving them, Jesus builds, in, builds these things in so you're not, you're not red in the face and just trying not to punch them. That's never happened to anybody in here. I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> if you were here a long, long time ago, we talked about a wood chipper. An inside joke. Inside joke. First Corinthians thirteen, four through seven in the Passion Translation. This is this is good. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Guys, that's the kind of love that we're called to. A love that is incredibly patient. Now, we're walking right into Thanksgiving this week. You're going to be practicing some of these. You didn't even know it. You're going to get together with your family, six feet apart and very distant, and everyone's wearing masks. Um, And there's going to be that one relative there that no one wants to talk to or you start talking and they start talking about whatever the thing is there. And then here comes, here comes the controversy and the disagreement and the strife. There's somebody that's going to introduce it. We all have one. There's no shame there. Let's break the shame. We all have one. <laughs> but the love that Christ gives us allows us to be incredibly patient. It says that it will keep us gentle and consistently, consistently kind to all. It says that we, with this love, we won't traffic in shame and disrespect. Shame and disrespect. Those are our primary tools for correcting behavior. We just got to throw fear in there. And that's how we love people. We're going to love you better. We're going to make you better. I'm going to love you so good with this disrespect and shame. Love is not easily irritated. Oh, mm, mm. just preaching to myself. Or quick to take offense, y'all, y'all, y'all. Quick to take offense. Does that sound like anything in 2020? Anything, anybody, don't raise your hand. 
love is a safe place of shelter and it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat. Mm. Mm. Y'all got to go home and read this. So love gives us capacity. I want you to look at Judas. Judas Iscariot, the guy that betrayed Jesus. I was having a conversation with the Lord um, a couple weeks back, and I was like, Lord, did you just create Judas for the sole purpose of his, of him betraying you? Like, was he, was, was he damned from the beginning? That was my question. Lord likes hard questions. Because all you see is you don't see any of the decision-making until real close to the Last Supper, and you say, he's, oh, here comes the betrayal, and then, and then he's leading the people out there to arrest Jesus. And you're like, Lord, was that, that his whole goal? Did you pick him just because you were supposed to? And I, and I was honest. I was like, Lord, if that's the right thing, because you're God and you do whatever you want to, that's fine. Let me know. And he sent me over to Acts. I'm skipping a little bit. Uh, 17 where Peter, they're talking about replacing Judas because Judas betrayed Jesus and then went and hanged himself. And Peter, speaking of Judas, said he was one of us and he was chosen to be an apostle just as we were. And what it showed me was that that Judas, I think, met Christ's calling with excitement and then slowly as he walked with him for three years, witnessing the fullness of God on earth, made choices in his mind. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. It's not for me. This is not whatever it is. And he kept making these choices and he kept going over here. But what's impressive is Christ's capacity to love him. Because at the Last Supper, John asked Jesus, who's going to betray you? And Jesus says, the person I hand this food to, essentially. But what I didn't realize until I read some notes about this was that a, a, an honorable gesture at a feast like this would be to honor a best friend or someone, or, or, or someone of great value to you, a choice portion of the dish you were eating. And so when John says, who's going to betray you? He says, the one I hand this food to, the one I greatly honor with this choice portion of food, Judas. And then right after that, it says Satan entered him. And the, and the, the, the narrative I was reading said Satan had to enter him because Jesus would given him all of his love. And Satan had to go ahead and secure the full foothold of what he had because Christ was giving him every ounce of love up to the very moment he was going to betray him. He's calling us to love like that, to love with that capacity, to watch that person begin a path that leads to something negative and to walk with them anyway up to the point that they betray you, up to the point that they might stab you. That capacity to know that here comes betrayal, but you are deserving of love. That's not the fun part of loving people. So we see Jesus honor Judas in the very last moments of his life. The primary reason that he would be going to the cross. That 
idea is what is part, in part, what it means to suffer with Christ. That we're, we're, there is physical suffering. There is persecution at, at, a, at a, a governmental level or a people level. And there's the overt hate, but there's also the loving, continuing to love people, even though they are going to fail, they are going to hurt you in return, and they are going to reject you up front knowing that, that you are going to continue to honor and serve and seek them out and pray for them. This is not, this is not the way of the world. The way of the world says, I'm going to love you for a little while, and you didn't fix it, so I'm done. I'm done. No more loving you. I'm not talking to anybody in here. Our church is perfect. Point number three, that love always has redemption in mind. Love always sees God's value in others. That last verse, I think seven in 1 Corinthians 13, love is a safe place, love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. We talked a lot about hope, and God is not hopeless. If anything, he makes a way where there does not seem to be a way. Amen? So in that person's life, the person you've been thinking of this entire time, there is a way. God has a way. God has a plan of redemption. God wants to use you in that person's life so that they can see love and see hope. You may not be the one to bring them to Jesus. You may not be the one that sees the transformation, but they will have a reference point in their life to go, that person loves me unconditionally. So what does love in action look like? It begins with our complete surrender to God's transformational process of love. But that's what we talked about just earlier. That the Holy Spirit has to come in and equip us with this kind of love. That Holy Spirit has to have a yielded person to do what he wants to do. In Romans 12 verse 2 don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let God, let God, say let God, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We're not going to be able to figure out how to love like God. And God gives us a way. He says, believe, receive Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, and then let me. So in that time where we're talking to Jesus, we're saying, Lord, help me love like you. Now, y'all, I've made the mistake of praying this prayer. I'm being facetious. It's not a mistake. It just means that you have to walk out some things because he needs to refine it. He needs to make it a thing. You don't say, Lord, make me good at baseball and then never go play baseball. 
or just assume when you when you get up to the plate that the first swing you're going to smash it center field home run grand slam there's already three people on base it it has to be developed it has to be grown those that are faithful in a little bit the lord gives more to so we begin to watch now don't get me wrong he puts training wheels on it we get we i mean especially if we're walking if we don't have any of this and and we're walk we're trying to walk it out it's going to be well tell your friend that doesn't go to church that god loves him well, I don't know about that, because if I say that, I know what he's going to say, and that's going to make a, we're going to have a disagreement, and I'm going to feel very awkward. <laughs> I would like not to do that, Lord. <laughs> no, do that. And it's, that's where that let God thing comes in, because we have to walk it out. We have to let him do things, so we have to see that he's doing things. When we step out in faith, all the church words, and see that he's prepared the way. The first time when I was just like, okay, Jesus, do whatever you want to do. He started telling me to tell people that, that he loved them. And that scared, the, scared all the things out of me. Because I assumed I would be rejected. And the very first person I ever told that to received it with such joy. And we were both filled with such joy that it made the next time even easier and the next time even easier and the next time even easier. It's... God will develop you in a way that works for you, but you have to trust him. That's why we have to let God. So it begins there. It begins in our prayer life. It begins in relationship where we are equipped, where we seek the Lord. And he renews our minds. He changes our perspectives. And we see people like he sees people. Despite all the mess around them, there's a value there's a there's a son there's a daughter and i don't know how to dig them out but how can i honor them so it begins there the second part of love and action love is not contingent it has no agenda but to love it has no agenda but to love value and honor because that person is worthy. You're allowed to not love the people that God doesn't love. There you go. All the people God doesn't love, that God don't love, you don't have to love them. So many. I can I can count them all on one hand. that flew over your head just give it a minute back in first corinthians 13 verse 7 and, and part of verse 8 love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others love never takes failures defeat for it never gives up love never stops loving when you're filled with agape love it flow it's it's an it's from an overflow from within it flows outward to those around you when people act crazy or reject you you understand it's because they just don't get it 
You're like, oh, that's cute. You're mad. You're mad. You just you just don't know that you're loved, or you have a loved, or you recognize they have a love deficit. You see in their life that oh, you don't, you don't have a love deficit, and I know that when I start to interact with you, that you're going to push me away, that you're going to reject me, that you're going to do what you can to distance yourself because whatever hurt in your life has said love is love is conditional and requires certain things, and you're just talking to me because you want something from me, and they're going to operate like that, and they're going to push themselves away, and they're going to push themselves away, and they're going to push themselves away, and then at some point they're going to go, why is this person still here? And you may not have even said anything about Jesus. But this person says, you've been around a lot longer than these other people have. And I've called you whatever name, whatever four-letter word. I've betrayed you. I've done all the things. I've given you all the reasons to stop valuing me, to stop honoring me, to stop serving me. But yet you do. Lots of times this hurt is from the church. The church is real good. I'm stealing this from a podcast I listen to. The church is real good at boundaries, real bad at compassion sometimes. Oh, there's sin in your life. Let me put you in this sin box over here, and we're just going to shame and disrespect you until you fix it. When you, when you get done fixing that, you come on back. You come on back to church. But right now you're in the box of shame. Penalty box. You got to fix yourself. And that person's, now, they're, now they've been trafficked in shame and disrespect. And they understand, their, their view of the church is now, it's not a safe place of shelter that believes the best for me. Because if we were that safe place of shelter, we would incorporate both things. It's not either or. Their sin is not going to infect you. That does not mean that there aren't boundaries. Okay, you've got, you've got whatever problem it is. I'm so happy that we're going to talk about it. We're going to love you through it. Does that mean that you can lead the church in this season? No, no, you can't. But you know what? You, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to walk with you, and we're going to pray with you, and we're going to love you, and we're going to serve you, and we're going to honor you because we see the best in you, and we know that you're not your sin because Jesus took care of your sin already. The judgment of God is satisfied in Christ on the cross. Are you a believer? Yes. Judgment is satisfied. I don't need to pass judgment on you. I need to love you because Jesus said, love you like he loved me. And if there's anybody that's worthy of judgment and condemnation. Amen? Everybody amen that difficult point. Yes, Lord. So we begin with relationship. Look, God fills us with that love. We begin to understand that that love is not contingent on another person's action or inaction. And then we understand that love is a mixture of planting, watering, and harvesting. But that God is the one that grows everything. So just because you interact with somebody and love them doesn't mean that you're going to see the harvest. You might be planting a seed. You might be watering a seed that was planted. Or, bless you, you might be the one that is 
is walking the harvest out with them. It might be that transformational season in their life. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. So our jobs, our job is obedience. Our job is love. Be in relationship. Do what God says. It's not, it's not super hard, but you have to know what God is saying in order to be obedient. And if you're not in close, intimate relationship, you're not going to hear him as clearly. Because sometimes our job is going to be to sit still and be quiet with somebody. I remember one time I was at a Starbucks. I was uh, pre-quarantine, and I was waiting on a person I was supposed to meet. And I was just sitting there. I'd gotten there kind of early, and I was having my coffee. And there was this guy outside who looked homeless. He was fairly disheveled. I didn't know what his story was, but he looked that way. And I just I got this... It's the Lord, like, tapping on my skull, like, hey. I was like, what? What? It's like, that guy. I said, what do you want me to do, Lord? Do you want me to go pray for him? Do you want me to go to re- give him a verse and bring him 15 coffees? What do you want me to do, Lord? I'll do it. Do you want me to deed him my house right now? And, and y'all, I was sitting there, and I was, was just stirring in my brain. That's called anxiety. Um... And, and God was like, just go sit with him. Well, what do you want me to say? I want you to sit with him and listen. Okay. Here I go out there and I just sit down and I'm like, hey man, what's up? That man just starts talking. Just, he's a little bewildered for a moment, but then all of a sudden here it comes. Just, and he's telling me crazy stories. Just, he's living in his van. He's driving wherever. He's got to go get something fixed. It's the problem with his family. And I'm just like, yeah, all right. And we did that for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I didn't say a word. I just listened. I just made eye contact. Just listened. And the person I was meeting got there, and I was like, oh, it was nice to meet you, man. I'll talk to you later. And he was like, thanks. And you, there was a, there's a change in his face. Thank you for interacting with me. Thank you for showing me worth and, and honoring me. Now, this is all sort of in hindsight. I, I didn't like pridefully walk away like, you've been honored. Thank you. Congratulations. Um, but it was in that moment that the Lord showed me that, especially for the Western church who lots and lots of people have heard and heard and heard and heard and heard Jesus loves you, but have never been shown that Jesus loves them. That our actions now more than ever are supremely important. And our nonverbal behavior is extremely important because we're being held not only to, to the accountability of the knowledge of Christ, but of the action of, of Christ, which is to love. So know that in your planting and your watering and your harvesting, it doesn't have to be a three-point message or the gospel tract or whatever it is. It might be. You might be the person that's harvesting right then, 
But lots and lots of times, it's going to be a smile. It's going to be a thank you. It's going to be eye contact. It's going to be listening. It's going to be intentional about showing them that they're valuable. You can do this anywhere you go. Look at your restaurant worker in the eye. Whoever's serving you, look them in the eye. Ask them how their day's going and then wait. Or if you hear the standard, everything's great, you go, really? Is it all real good? Every, every moment of today's been great? Well, no. And that may develop into an opportunity to pray for them. That may develop into an opportunity to encourage them. But the fact that you took time to say, hey, how are you doing? is supremely impactful. And then tip that person. If you go to a restaurant and don't tip, I'm going to love you like Jesus. I'm going to honor you. 1 Peter 2, 17, honor all people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor all people, all. Now I know what you're saying. What's that word in the Greek? It's all. It's everybody. (laughs) We cannot wait for people to be ready to be loved. We must start loving them where they are in their deep brokenness. Guys, it's just about where you are and always having your love on. Because you don't know what that person next to you who's just smiling because it's their day at work and they're supposed to smile, but are dealing with depression and anxiety or suicidal ideation or or family issues or pick a thing that moments earlier just said, Lord, if you're real, give me a sign. And then you walk up and say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? God is positioning us to be the light in the darkness. And people are going to need to see that light in our actions and our love so that they can recognize Jesus. Because everybody's heard the word, especially around here. Everybody's heard about Jesus. Or maybe they've tried Jesus, but they haven't been loved. Because when you get loved by Jesus, when you get loved by his people, that doesn't leave you that authentic love stays with you. Honor all people. So I I was getting this message ready and the Lord gave me a word for our church. I was going to share it with you. And then we're going to pray. So this is what he said. The church is about to enter a season of refinement. 2020 has tested the church and revealed areas of weakness that are to be addressed prior to the next harvest. We must submit ourselves to this refinement process. It requires nothing less than full surrender. If we are to stay the course and prosper while not being deceived, we must be sold out to him and overflow with his love. There is no other path forward for God's people. We must choose refinement or choose the world. 
God's drawn a pretty firm line. And it's not to condemn you. And it's not to pass judgment. But it's to say, hey, he's getting bit. The International House of Prayer has been praying for 21 years for a billion soul harvest. 24-7, they've been praying for that. And every prophetic word we keep hearing from people that are close to us, from prominent prophet, other prophetic voices says, here comes the harvest. Here it comes. Here comes the next great awakening. And the church is going to be ready. He's going to make his church ready. And if we choose the world and we choose, we're not going to be refined. Then he says, that's cool. I'm not going to use you. Not because I don't love you. Not because I'm not going to be right there with you. But I can't refine you to, to handle this next big influx of people. So guys... It's important. It's so important now more than ever that we fully surrender to God, that we truly say all of my heart, all of my soul, all that I own, you can have it all. Because he wants to use us. I believe he will use this church. I know he will. I don't know what it looks like, but I know he's going to use us. And I want you to be a part of that. And I can equip you and you can receive that, but it's going to be on you whether or not you use it. And I don't want you to get, sounds very cliche, left behind. Not that you're going to be, you know what I'm saying. I want you to be a part of it. So stand up if you're able to. And we're going to pray. Put your hand on your heart. And listen, we normally this would be a time to have an altar call. But what I'm reminded of is that the altar is where the sacrifice goes. The altar is where the sacrifice goes to be burned. So if that's your heart today, understand if you were going, if if there was an altar call and you would come up here, you're asking, Lord, devour me with your fire. Burn up everything that doesn't belong. Refine me. So I want, I'm going to pray for you. I just want you to put your hand on your heart and I'm going to pray for you. And what I'm going to tell you is don't pray this if you don't want it. You can put your hand on your heart and pretend like you're praying so that, so that you can be part of the group and do things. But I won't pray this for you, and the Lord is going to answer it. And if you are not 100% in, it's going to be very uncomfortable. So I'm going to pray this for you. Lord, thank you so much for our church. Thank you so much for our people. Thank you, Father, that you are refining us. And right now, Lord, we give it all to you. I surrender my heart, my soul, everything I own. You can have everything, Lord. Refine us. We desire to be made unshakable. Father, we desire to be refined to the people that you want us to be, to to help with the people that you're bringing into the church. Father, do what you need to do. You have permission. There is no place off limits. In Jesus' name, amen.